Thanks for joining us here. Green Squad Chats, another episode. Today, we, uh, we're actually still brainstorming a little bit with what the, what the topic's going to be, but I think it's, we're landing somewhere on what happens when you're leading a team, whether it's in your business or in your organization, and you have a vision as the leader of where you want to take that team, but you're getting resistance from your teammates. Might not be overt, right? But maybe they're just not kind of falling in line and you're the leader. What do you do? Such a good question. Can I counter with a question? Absolutely. Do we agree that as the leader of an organization, it is your responsibility to set the vision for the organization? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yes, I agree that that is your role as the leader. I have some thoughts on, I have some nuances there, but in general, yes, I agree with you. Well, I think the nuances are important here. So let me ask a couple other questions. What, how do you communicate your vision to your team? And what is your expectation of your team with respect to that vision? And I, I think Brandon, I'd be, I think you've got some great thoughts here. So Adam, so my thinking's changed. It's shifted a little bit over the last, I don't know, three to five years. In general, depending on, well, let me say in most scenarios, I think that it's, that's the leader's role, right? Is to kind of understand the big picture, understand where the team needs to go, what's the outcome and kind of set some boundaries there and be able to communicate that in a way that your team understands it. So I think we're, I don't know if we're all in agreement on that, but I think it gets to your point of, Hey, the leader sets the vision. So what we were talking about earlier is what happens when you face a situation that you haven't ever experienced as the leader. You don't have the experience. And so in that instance, in those types of scenarios, I think that even though you're the leader, you may have an initial vision, but I think that it behooves you to be able to accept challenges to that vision and other perspectives because you actually might not know where you should be going Depending on the situation, again, these are this is like complex. These are things that you maybe haven't faced before, or seen before. Um, th- those are my initial thoughts. O- over to you all. I think it just depends on what level of of Zoom you're at. I agree, Brandon. You have to be open to change. You have to be willing to pivot to be to to be receptive to challenging viewpoints. And change is great, right? I mean, you're, we talk a lot about the the change initiative you're working uh, in in your in one of your jobs, one of your roles. Change is great. I do think, though, that that the vision still needs to emanate from the top. And I mean, it's the direction you're, you're steering the, the ship, the aircraft, the, the car. It's the direction you're pointed, right? That vector has to be, you've got to tell the team, this is the way we're going. And then I think the biggest thing you have to be receptive to is differing methods to get there. Yeah, it seems seems like the vision is, I know why we're talking about this, but the vision of the organization or the ecosystem of companies as set by the founder, the CEO, the the solopreneur is the vision. I don't, I would argue that the vision is unlikely to change unless the 
leader of that organization sees a significant need for change. But the vision is typically in a broader sense. So it's not specified. It seems like we're, we're more talking about what are the components within that, that company or that organization that are moving us in line with our vision to achieve some, some specific goal we have as a company. That is where I think the rubber meets the road with your people. They see the vision. They're inspired by the vision. They believe in the vision. They want to be a part of it because that's your goal as a leader is to get them on that track. How we get there is where a lot of buy-in is needed. If I go tell my team, in order to get to this vision, we're going to have to do this really terrible thing and this is how we're going to do it and they don't have any input to that like probably won't go well for me personally because I need to create buy-in by allowing them to be a part of the how process like all right what are what are the ideas like how how can we achieve this goal within our vision like what are the tactics techniques procedures things what's a good plan like and then we have a collaborative process and building that out now obviously that's like very that's structured how we do things in the military with our organization's vision core values and all that but then we come up with specific plans to execute on and that's where i think when we worry about the method that's where we get the most buy-in from our people so for me it's multi-layered. And I do think you do need to have your people be collaborative in the how, how we're going to get to the objective that we're trying to get to. Yeah. In Patrick Vincioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he talks about how having a vision and then you have to bring in the subordinate people that are in the, the you know, those necessary billets and they have to weigh in for the buy-in is a phrase that I use a lot because if you just bring, if the senior person plans in a vacuum and then says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And nobody that's in actionable areas has any input, then yeah, they have zero. They don't care. They don't care at all. And if you have the, the you bring them in, you collaborate with the vision, you're going to get the feedback necessary. If you've created as a leader, the proper culture and environment that allows them to provide that feedback, then they're going to have the way in. They're going to, the door's going to be open. Their actionable items are going to be with intent, with a little bit of fervor and greater initiative because they were saying, hey, I contributed to this overall outcome. And then it's going to be awesome. I think as a leader, it's important, you know, as you do communicate the vision, I, I'm, I'm with you, Travis, we need to get that buy-in. I also think it's important as a leader to, you know, in your business, in your military unit, you need to, if there's something you're not negotiable, right? Our vision is to get from A to B, and you know that you want the team, you you will require the team to stop at checkpoint C on the way. If you don't tell them that as you set the vision and communicate it, you're going to be disappointed every time they bring you a plan that doesn't involve going via checkpoint C, right? So, But you can't be so rigid that you dictate every element, right? So if there's a couple of things you're hard up on, you've got to communicate them. And then the other thing I'll, I'll offer along these lines is that as you communicate priorities for the organization that should be in line with the vision, you can only have one or two and your words and actions need to support those priorities just as you expect your team to to do the same. 100%. I love the um, a lot of conversation recently for me on centralized command and decentralized control. 
So centralized command being providing what your intent is. So now we're getting more specific lesson vision. So let's say that in order to achieve our vision, I want to do X. I want to grow revenue by 20%. And I have a few things that we're going to do. Maybe it's a different marketing strategy or bringing on salespeople and then decentralized control. So that would be centralized command. Decentralized control is getting feedback from the bottom up. So that creates buy-in on that. And that's what I think you're like for you, Tom, and your comments of if they bring something feedback from the bottom up, that's like, hey, I actually think we can do this, but it's going to look a little different. I think we could do it like this. Here's a here's what I think is a better plan. And you're open to hear that. And you allow them even if you could come up with a better plan. than them. That's the hard part because you have more experience. Typically, you're more talented, maybe more diverse, maybe not more talented in a specific thing. And you just let them execute that plan because if they're bought in, if it's their idea, if that's, you know, they're going to own that way more than they're going to own something that you shove down their throat. So, um, but here's the counterpoint that we don't talk about on this. If you give me something and I come back to you with a plan and you're like, okay, Adam, go ahead and execute. I'll support it. I think it's a good idea, but I'm not hitting my goals. It is okay to come in and provide rudder steers guidance and then revalidate the vision and look at the hard results and go, hey, guys, like this was a good plan. I'm looking at the measures of effectiveness and the measures of performance here, and we're not quite on target. What do you think the best adjustments we can make are? And I'll let them come back to me with that. But ultimately, if I know we need to go a direction, it is still okay for me to go and give very specifics. Like, all right, hey, here's what we need to do to get this back on track. X, Y, and Z, let's go. And then I'm just reselling and reiterating my vision. It's okay to come over the top at times, especially if you're constantly sticking to these principles when you lead between vision, intent, decentralized control, centralized command, those types of things. Yeah, that's the very definition of a feedback loop, right? Is that you want subordinate personnel or people in, in those key billets. Subordinate always sounds so demeaning, but people in key personnel are in key billets that are autonomous and execution. Right. Because they have the ownership necessary to go out and like, OK, I've got your vision. I'm going to go out and execute and then just make sure that that stuff is happening by follow ups, meetings, whatever that case may be. Key billets could be like employee positions or specific positions inside of a company. A lot of that's kind of a lot of military jargon from us. But that's just like you have specific maybe directors or key leaders inside of your business that fill critical roles. I love the idea of feedback loops. And absolutely, Adam. Like it's like when you're flying in an aircraft and you got a co-pilot who's brand new. Hey, we're going this way. I want you to fly. I want you to practice. If as the senior leader in that aircraft, the aircraft commander, you notice that, hey, your co-pilot is getting ready to fly your aircraft into the water. As the leader of that aircraft, you're not going to let that happen, right? You're going to take the controls. You're going to go straight and level. So you're going to look at the situation. You're going to get back to, hey, let's... We need to make this tweak. Let's get back on track. Let's talk about it, debrief it, what happened, what went wrong. That's key, right? Because you're trying to help your less experienced teammates get up to a different, a higher level. So the feedback's key. The feedback loop's key. The learning from that experience is key. And then we find ways to give them the controls again, to let them, right, to uh, continue to try and succeed and try and fail. So I think you were spot on with that. James, I, you had some really good insight into this a little bit earlier. 
Yeah, I'm actually going to go a different direction. I think this is why entrepreneurship can be lonely because you're like, you're trying to figure all this stuff out as a leader sometimes. And you can't bring this to your subordinates and your team, really. If you're like, how do I best engage with you? Maybe you can, but I struggle with it for sure. This is something I'm struggling with right now. And it's also why I think hiring for a right culture fit in your company, in your organization is important. I want somebody who is confident in their ability and their their competency to lean into challenge and take on new innovative ideas because if they're close-minded and of much more limiting beliefs than the other type of person, then that's going to be an uphill battle. So I was, I was speaking earlier, I, I think the first part that's important is getting them to believe that it is possible. Because if you have a goal that they think is going to be challenging, it's like, um, I'm not sure that's possible. You make it possible. Well, and this idea, James, that even if you don't achieve the goal, but your organization is aligned in an effort to get there, maybe you fall a little short while telling yourself you can do it is a way better outcome than telling yourself you can't and landing, you know, orders of magnitude short. Yeah, that's exactly correct. This is something I, I don't know if I want to talk too much on because I feel like I'm not doing a great job at it right now, to be honest with you. And that's like, we're on this podcast, people listening or watching might think like, oh, these guys have it all figured out, like multiple businesses, successful, like this is, this is real. Well, I th- yeah, exactly. I think that it's important to communicate that like, hey, we don't have everything figured out. And guess what? We work through these challenges daily, just like our listeners do. Um, you know, so what, what can you do as somebody facing these challenges to be able to, to work through them? Right. And I think one of the options is to find a group of people like we have and, and get into that environment where you can talk through this stuff. We're not solving each other's problems. We're just talking through these issues and asking each other questions and getting each other to, other to think about these things, maybe in a different way, or maybe you come to the realization that you are doing everything that you need to be doing right now. Here's another one that get your mind and your body right. This is why I'm so intentional about physical fitness because it's putting me, I'm making a conscious chosen decision to put myself into discomfort and I know that I can I can set this running goal or this fitness goal, whatever it might be, and I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna get it done, and that gives me this confidence that that can exist in business too. It's super important to me. I think if you're if you're a new entrepreneur listening to this episode and you're not doing that and you don't know what to do next, get in the gym seriously. One of the things, you know, as you do encounter these struggles, right? And and James, I'll maybe I'll overshare. James and I both in the last week, in the last few days, have had struggles in business where, you know, teams are not necessarily expressing the support that we would like in terms of desired goals, right? And one of the things that I come back to, James, you reminded me with this discussion of making sure exercise is part of your routine, being able to sit in discomfort. My wife does a lot of running. And uh, she's run, you know, multiple marathons and, and experienced levels of discomfort I can't imagine. And one of the things she says again and again is forward is a pace. And if I'm ever struggling, I come back to that, you know, hey, am I moving in the right direction? Because if so, this is this is a pace. This is good. I love that. Here, here's something I struggle with, too. And I'll be the first to tell somebody this advice. And then sometimes I do need somebody to tell it to me or I need to look in the freaking mirror. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Like I'm always saying it, somebody comes to me with an issue and it's like, well, I might as well not try because I don't have the perfect solution yet. It's like, it's a, that relates 
directly to what you just said. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good for it is pace. Yeah. It's like, it. it's a mantra that kind of helps you realize that sometimes you just got to take action and you'll learn from that action. You can iterate, right? And fail and do better. And, su- and you might succeed right away, even though you didn't have all the information. Um, especially important for somebody who naturally, like myself, if given the time, I will take the time to analyze, think about it. And sometimes I need a kick in the butt to action. And actually joining this group four years ago, I've gotten better at that, both here in in my professional life too. Some of us need a kick in the butt to do that, James. Hidden secret, by the way, you said, especially when you don't have all the information, you will never. Never have, yeah, never have all the information. That reemphasizes the, you know, execute a plan violently now instead of waiting for a perfect plan later. Yeah, if you wait to have all the perfect information, usually the opportunity passes you by. I'll give a quick, super easy, dumb example. I'm making an offer on some land just three minutes from my house. There's some tree issues. There's some other stuff going on. And so I built into my plan some due diligence. And I built into my plan the ability to do some tree work before closing. And that gets me to a risk buffer where it will be good enough with my offer price to make the development deal work. Now, if they don't take my price, that's fine. The deal will never be. And I don't know if they will or not. I should hear back later today. So by the time this airs, we'll know. But yeah, if, if I wait until I know I can get the trees removed or I know that uh, like where it might trade at in three months, somebody else bought that property, that, that thing is gone. So I'm operating on 60 to 80% of the information that I know and I can work with that. Yeah, I think um, that's a perfect example of what's the word, like you're going to take action if you don't get the property, fine, but what's the worst that could happen? So a lot of times I think we don't take action because we just, in our heads, we just have this picture. We're telling ourselves this story of we're going to do this. We're going to fail. It's good. I'm going to be bankrupt. We're going to be in ruin. I'm never going to recover from this. And I think because a lot of us are telling ourselves these stories, then we're like, no, I don't have enough information yet. It's too risky. I'm not going to move forward. So I like what you said about having a risk buffer, James, like start to build that in. Hey, I've got a risk buffer. It's safe to fail on this. I think that's a good phrase for it, right? It's safe to fail. So now that I know it's safe to fail, just go take some action. That might be the the point where it's time to take that action. You know, that could be a whole nother episode, that paradigm. We're going to call it, give yourself an out. Yeah, I love it. Hey, anyone else have any last minute stuff they want to throw in before we wrap it for this week. All right. Another awesome chat. I love every Saturday morning with, with you and uh, to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed it and got something out of this. Please leave us a, a five-star review. If it's not five stars, then reach out to us, please. We want to know how we can make this better for you. And uh, that's it. We'll see you next time.